Now, please turn with me to uh, Titus, Titus chapter 3. We are finishing off our studies uh, in uh, this uh, epistle, in this letter. And uh, our section this evening is from verse 9 to the end of uh, the letter. Uh, But we'll maybe read just uh, a bit uh, before that. Um, We'll maybe begin uh, in verse 3 and we'll read through to the end. And so Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful uh, and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that being justified uh, by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. In our passage for this evening, verse 9, but, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies, and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is uh, heretic or divisive, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that that uh, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sins, being condemned in himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Uh, bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they are, uh, be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Paul has uh, here in the closing of Uh, This letter has brought out some key themes that we've been thinking about over these past few weeks. Uh, He again touches on the issue of false teachers or divisive people in the assembly. He speaks about the importance uh, of believers uh, evidencing their faith uh, through good works. The, the, the whole letter has been, uh, Paul has been speaking about this uh, connection as some have put it between faith and practice, between belief and behaviour. Uh, and so there is this union that we see between what we believe and how we behave. And so the, the book I think is uh, uh, and this is kind of brought out in the, in the ESV study Bible and in its overview is kind of a bit of a chiasm on, on either side we have an introduction and an, uh, and an exhortation And then just in from them, uh, after the introduction, before the exhortation, we have speaking a section speaking about false teachers uh, or divisive people. Uh, And then in the middle, uh, in chapters 2 to to just where we uh, began our reading uh, in verse 9 or verse 8, where we ended uh, last week, uh, there was this main section on on Christian living uh, in contrast. And so in contrast with these false teachers that is on the other side of, of this big main section, what Paul is doing here, he is saying, here is the false teachers. 
And here's the false, uh, the, the result or the product of the false teachers and the false teaching. And Paul initially, he, he contrasts this with the elders. Remember that back in chapter 1. And we saw that how the, the elders were to be uh, in contrast, the way they lived their lives was to be in contrast uh, to the way the false teachers lived their lives. Uh, the false teachers were described as unruly, uh, vain talkers, or the, no benefit to what they said. They were deceivers. Uh, but in contrast, the elders were to be blameless, teachers of God's word, and they were to be lovers of good. They were to be just. Uh, in, in this section that we have this evening, from verses 9 to the end, I want to just speak uh, about four uh, commands that Paul gives, four imperatives that Paul gives uh, to the believers. This letter is packed full of truth, packed full of exhortation, and uh, Paul doesn't um, waste any words as he writes to Titus. Uh, and there's four things I just want to think about. Uh, the first one is in verse 9. Uh, we are to avoid foolish conversations. Avoid foolish conversations. Uh, in verse 10 we see that we are to reject divisive people. In, uh, in verse 13 uh, we, are, we are told uh, uh, to help fellow workers. To help fellow workers. And then finally in verse 14, uh, we are told to learn to do good works. Learn to do good works. Four commands, avoid, reject, help and learn. Now the first of these two kind of go hand in hand. Verses, uh, verses 9 and 10, uh, we see that they are in contrast. We thought last week about a but in verse 4, but after that. Uh, but here again we have a contrast in verse 9, but avoid foolish questions. And so what Paul is doing here is now not just uh, contrasting the, the false teachers with the elders here. Uh, here he is uh, contrasting the false teachers with with how we should live our lives, how mature believers should live their lives. Uh, we see in verses 8 and 9 uh, that these good works that, that we are told to, uh, to maintain, to be careful to maintain these good works, they are good and they are profitable. Uh, but then in verse, uh, in verse 9 uh, we see that there was these foolish conversations uh, there was these uh, unhelpful uh, conversations and, 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 and other things. Uh, and there we see that they are un unprofitable and they are vain or in vain. They are worthless. And so we have this contrast once again. We are told to avoid worthless conversation. We are told to reject the people who cause division. Someone put it, we are told what to avoid in verse 9 and we are told whom to avoid in verse 10. And so, avoid, avoid. Avoid means to turn away, to turn away. And Paul has written to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he wrote along similar lines. He said, uh, another contrast, he, he writes to Timothy in, in chapter 2 and verse 15. He says, study to show uh, thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun or avoid Profane and vain babblings, vain talk, uh, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And so Paul has already warned Timothy, now he is warning Titus and the believers on Crete 
that they are to avoid foolish and worthless conversation. And so there are a few different um, things that Paul says to, to avoid. And, and whilst we might get into discussion about what each of them mean, I wonder maybe if that constitutes a wee bit of foolish conversation. But we get the gist of, 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 of the problem or, or what we need to avoid in each of them. It says to avoid foolish questions. Avoid foolish questions. I wonder if these were, uh, maybe today we might have hypothetical questions. Questions really that, that are of no benefit because they are not the reality of things. They are just hypothetical. Discussions with no benefit whatsoever. Genealogies they were to avoid. The Jews seem to have this, uh, these fanciful interpretations of genealogies and so they are told to avoid them. They are told to avoid uh, 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 contentions or things which cause strife. And they are told to avoid strivings about the law. We, we, we know that there was this issue of false teachers in the, in the assemblies there in Crete, and, and Titus is, 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 dealing, is being told to deal with that. Paul doesn't seem to go into too much detail about what the errors were, but we do have in a sense that the error were, were relating to, to, to Jewish teachings, Jewish uh, practices, uh, to Jews who uh, seem to have become Christians and were uh, teaching uh, falsely, we see here in this section uh, that they are about they are to avoid genealogies and strivings about the law. I take I take that to be to be the, the Old Testament law. Uh, but in verse uh, in chapter one, verse ten, we see uh, that that Paul speaks about um, about those who are unruly, uh, uh, vain talkers, deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. And then in verse 14 of chapter 1, we see uh, that there's a warning about uh, not giving heed to Jewish fables. And so we, we, we have an idea that this has got something to do, this false teaching has something to do uh, with, with, with those who were Jews. Uh, however, Paul, Paul doesn't state what the false teaching was, and I think that's probably helpful. He focuses not on the false teaching, but on the assembly's response on the assembly's response to the false teaching. He focuses on uh, the qualities of the elders that were to be appointed. He focuses on the evidence or the good works of the believers. And he focuses on the rejection of those who are spouting the error. What they were doing, what these people were involved in, uh, was, as we've considered, unprofitable. And they were, it was vain, it was in vain. Uh, unprofitable, it was, it was useless. And vain, it was worthless. And so these people were told to avoid. Avoid foolish conversations. You know, whatever they were involved in, I'm sure we have all been involved in conversations and can maybe think past, uh, think back in, into, in the past to, to conversations that really weren't very helpful that we've been involved in, maybe we, we started or encouraged. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and what we are involved in, uh, in talking about our conversations, uh, what we discuss, especially when it comes to Scripture, should be something that is edifying and something that is designed to build up one another, that is helpful for each other in the Christian walk. It is not to be in vain, it is not to be worthless. Someone has said that, that we should avoid preoccupations with method rather than spiritual realities. So often uh, we are concerned with how we do things. You know, we're concerned with how we do things and maybe that's relating to our, our preferences. 
And so maybe we're concerned with which hymn book we sing from. Or whatever it, is, whatever it is. I think this hymn book looks great, by the way. Uh, I'm really enjoying these hymns uh, that we're singing uh, and sung today. Uh, what about um, the problem of, of, of majoring on one truth rather than uh, the exclusion, of, uh, exclusion of, of other truths? And where someone takes the, uh, the you know, one truth, one small, maybe uh, minute thing, and, and they make it their big thing that they are going to, to make sure everyone knows that that's what they believe. And that's where they stand on that big, on that issue, whether big or small. And maybe linking in with genealogies, uh, someone says, uh, this person says, to to avoid allegorizing passages of scripture beyond its intended meaning. And and I suppose maybe that's what the the Jews were doing when they, uh, in in these genealogies, they they were were, um, allegorizing these things and they were taking them to fanciful places beyond what was intended. You know, when it comes to how we spend our time uh, in our conversation about scripture, uh, in our conversation with one another, I thought of Ephesians 5, and it says there, See that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And so we need to be careful, we need to consider the time that we have on our, on our hands. Uh, what are we using it for? Are we using it for building up saints? Are we using it for preaching the gospel to those who are lost and, uh, and on the road to hell? Or are we wasting our time discussing things that really are foolish and are worthless? We are told to avoid foolish conversation. Then verse, uh, uh, verse 10 and 11, uh, we are told to... Uh, we are told to reject those who are, as the author says, heretic, but really it means someone who is divisive. What, someone who is causing division. In, in verse 13 of chapter 1, uh, Paul writes about those who were, uh, who were the, the unruly ones, the, the, the deceivers, and he says there in verse 13 to rebuke them, to rebuke them sharply. Uh, but now we see that we are being told to reject, reject them. After the first and second admonition, after the first and second um, rebuke of them, uh, we are told to reject them. We are told to reject them. And so this is our second command. This, is, this word reject is the same word that, that Paul writes to Timothy when he says, um, when he says but foolish, and, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, avoid or reject, knowing that they do gender strifes. Unlearned, foolish and unlearned questions, those questions which are worthless and useless, we are to avoid them, we are to reject them, because they, uh, they, they bring in division amongst God's people. You remember the, the, the parable of uh, the, the man who has the banquet and the invitation goes out and there are these excuses that are made and that word excuse in that parable is the same word uh, to avoid. Uh, you know the, the, the man, the, the first said, said I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go to and see it. I pray thee have me excused. He was avoiding. He was avoiding. He was rejecting the invitation. And so the person here that, that Paul is speaking about, this man who is divisive, or woman uh, who is divisive, this is one who is continually seeking to, to stir up division amongst God's people. 
Uh, one who is attempting probably to, to create a group who, who support him in, in his belief, in his, um, in his preference. Uh, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, where Paul writes this, For a while one says, I am of Paul, and another, uh, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Are you not fleshly? Are you not worldly? Uh, and, and so this division, this attitude of, 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 of causing division is really a, a carnal attitude. And, and I think this is the idea here that, that, that Paul is speaking of. There is someone here and he is creating division amongst God's people. I enjoyed William MacDonald's uh, comment on this. He said about this man, this divisive man, he said he usually has, uh, uh, sorry, he usually has one note on his violin and he plays it to death. He usually has one note on his violin and he plays it to death. That is the, the divisive man and 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 um, and, and divide, this divisive man Paul is warning about, he's saying to reject. You know, I was thinking of an illustration of this, you know, I, I, I really enjoy watching the, the Olympics and, 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 and the cycling. I really enjoy the cycling. And there are some events and, and Chris Hoy for instance out there by himself and he's on his own. Uh, but there are some events that are team pursuits uh, and, and, and events like that and, and the key is uh, to stick together to stick together if you, if you watch the, uh, a cycling uh, race in a team pursuit or something like that and the team breaks up and rather than four of them going round they're split into two and two and uh, we see very very quickly they begin to slow down very quickly we see that they're going to lose because once they are divided well they cannot do what they were intended to do and the assembly of God's people, it needs to be united. United as we work together. And you know, we should all be people who promote unity in the assembly. We should look at this man, this divisive man, and say, I'm not going to be him. I'm going to be one who promotes unity in the assembly. We should not seek to create factions. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, at the very beginning uh, of, of, of the church... Uh, it, say, it says there of the people in, in that verse we know well. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. There was a community. There was relationship. There was fellowship amongst one another. And they continued steadfastly in it. What about the divisive man? Paul says to reject. Reject. He needs to be separated from the assembly. He is subverted, he is warped, and he is condemned in his own actions. It is evident for all to see that this type of man uh, is a sinner and is sinning. He is condemned in himself by his actions. It is clear to see he is a divisive person. And so, Paul says after the first and second admonition, after the first and second rebuke, uh, this man, this person should be rejected. He should be ejected out of the assembly. As we think of this first and second admonition, we might remember, might be thinking uh, to Matthew chapter 18. So we'll turn there uh, for a few moments in Matthew chapter 18. And we have there um, maybe the... the, the uh, a very, we have a very clear um, method um, or, or, or instruction as to what to do uh, when there is sin, uh, when there is a sinning um, brother or sister 
in, in the assembly. In, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, it says, Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That, that's the key, isn't it? That's the key. If someone has a fault against, uh, if you have a fault against someone, uh, the, the key is, the, the, the main thing is not to make sure that everyone knows about it. The, the main thing is not to gossip about it. But it's to go to them, to uh, bring the fault before them, uh, trusting that they will hear it, they will understand, they will um, agree that they have sinned. And if they do so, and if they repent, you have gained your brother. You know, you have won him. But verse 16, if, if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And so you are to go a second time. And, and this time with one or two others. Maybe one or two others who have witnessed the sin. Uh, certainly that they can establish that fact, but maybe also the, the, the response of this person. And so they are to go. And verse 17, if he shall neglect to hear thee, uh, to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. The next stage is that the church then find out. Not again so that there can be gossip, but in order to win this person over, to, to confront this person with the sin, uh, to call on them to repent, uh, that they can be uh, that they can be brought back into that fellowship, the relationship, uh, a good relationship with the assembly. Uh, But if he neglects to hear the church, he is to be as a heathen or a publican. He is to be as to one that is outside of the assembly. One who is in need of the gospel, one who is in need of uh, repentance. And and so we have a fairly clear and very helpful uh, kind of uh, instructions as to what to do in the case of discipline. Well, the question is when? When should we, as a church, uh, practice discipline? When should there be one uh, rejected from the assembly? Well, I, I, I was reading and I, I found these three helpful points that were made. It, it says here, when, 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 first of all, when there is outward manifestation of sin. When there is outward manifestation of sin. Of course, that verse in Samuel, we, we maybe know it well. Uh, for the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Of course, we can't understand, we can't know what's in someone's heart. But we see from, uh, from Mark chapter 7, that from out, with, uh, from out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. And so from what is in the heart comes out. And it is on that which we must act. Secondly, it's when the sin is serious. First Peter tells us, First chap- Peter chapter 4, that love covers a multitude of sins. And praise God for that. That we can look over one another's sins and that we can forgive one another's sins. And then finally, and I think this is an important point to make, uh, is when a person is unrepentant. And we see that from Matthew chapter 18 very clearly. It's when someone is unrepentant that they are to be disciplined, they are to be put out of the assembly. They are to be rejected as we have it in, in Titus. When someone is uh, unrepentant, when they are continuing 
in their sin. You know, we might think this sounds harsh. And it's certainly uh, difficult to to think about. And as we think of uh, how that might come into play, as we think about uh, the realities of that, we recognise that it's very difficult to think about. When we experience it, we understand the hurt that is involved and we understand the difficulties involved in this, the seriousness of it. And of course, as Galatians says, that these things must be done in meekness. In meekness. But it does sound harsh. And maybe, maybe you think that's harsh. Maybe you think, why, why can't we just look over uh, this sin? Why does it need to be confronted? And maybe that's what the, uh, the Corinthian church thought, as Paul wrote to them. But I just want to say three things, and there's more as to our reason why we, it is important to practice church discipline. Why it is important to put out those uh, who, who, need, who are unrepentant of the, uh, from the assembly. Uh, just, th- just three things, and, and you can maybe go home and, and consider other ones uh, this evening. Uh, the first thing is, is to protect the saints in the assembly. So 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's to protect the other believers that they might not fall into the same sin. It is to restore uh, the sinning brother or sister. We see that from Galatians 6. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such as one in the spirit of meekness. And then finally, thirdly, here in this section we see that it is to preserve the unity of the assembly. Just three things. Uh, Why we might consider it important to practice church discipline. Of course, how should it be practiced is in meekness and with wisdom. There is an assumption here, as Paul writes, that there is a difference between those who are in fellowship, in uh, in, 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 in the fellowship of, of God's people, enjoying the fellowship of God's people, who are a member of a local assembly, and those who are not. So when someone is removed from the assembly, when someone is removed from, from, from being able to have fellowship with the assembly, there is a notable difference. It, it would be very strange, wouldn't it, for someone to be, um, to be rejected, someone to be put out of assembly fellowship and not be able to, to enjoy those things which we might expect to be enjoying uh, being part of an assembly, and yet they notice no difference. There should be a difference between those who are in fellowship, those who are out fellowship. There should be a closeness. There should be a unity amongst God's people in God's assemblies. And so we should cultivate, uh, we should seek, sorry, to cultivate deep relationships with one another. uh, With those for whom Christ died. We should open our homes and spend time with one another. We should help each other through times of difficulties. And we should rejoice through times of celebration. Uh, secondly, there, there, there is an expectation, isn't there, that, that those who are believers are in assembly fellowship. There is an expectation in, in, in the New Testament that is very clear, that those who believe are baptised and added to God's people. Acts 2.41 Then they that gladly received his word were baptised, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a day that must have been. But those who are believers, are baptised, are added into 
the, the, uh, to a company of God's people, an assembly of God's people. There are no lone rangers, there are no islands when it comes to living the Christian uh, faith. So, moving on to our third section, verse uh, 12 and 13. We see two sets of people. Uh, there are those who are coming to Crete and there are those who are going. Uh, I wonder uh, if in these uh, last few months when many of us have maybe had co- uh, holidays cancelled or we, we, we remember those fond days when we used to be able to fly somewhere on holiday uh, that maybe some of us might be like, might like to be Artemis and, and Tychicus who are going to Crete. And so there are those two who are going. There are then two who are going uh, from Crete who are leaving. They are uh, Zenos and, and Apollos. Two sets. One, the first in each set, we, we know nothing about. The second in each set, interestingly, we, we know quite a bit about. Uh, Tychicus and, and Apollos are mentioned, uh, a, a little bit more at least, uh, than the other two who aren't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Uh, but as, as we think about these, about these people, those who are, who are coming to Crete, and then in verse 13 we, we see those two who, uh, who are going from Crete, and Titus is, is told, bring uh, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently that nothing be wanting unto them. I just wanted to make the point uh, here that we, as, as, the, as Paul spe- uh, says here uh, to Titus, to bring them on their journey diligently, we are to help. We are to help fellow workers. We are to help fellow workers. You know, we have a wonderful privilege to be able to support uh, those who are involved in God's service. Isn't it amazing that we can sit here in, 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 our, in Aberdeen uh, we can be in our homes this evening and we can be helping those who are serving uh, God here uh, in, in this country or elsewhere around this world. And, and here, uh, Titus is told to make sure that they, have, uh, they are wanting for nothing. They are wanting for nothing. You know, we, we, we as an assembly here, of course, are independent. We are not part of any denomination. Uh, but we have, we have a, an immense privilege to be a part of the, the body of Christ and able to support those who are serving God in, in many different ways uh, and, and we do so as an assembly and I'm sure individually as well as we support through our time uh, through our care uh, through, through giving financially as well those who go out with the message of the gospel and those who, who go to, to help build and strengthen churches build up and, and, and strengthen churches and, and, and John writes a wee bit about this in Third John, uh, in Third John chapter, uh, oh, in verse five. Sorry, he said, "Beloved, thou uh, doest faithfully whatsoever you do to the brethren to strangers, which have borne witness of your love before the church, and uh, whom if uh, thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well." Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Fellow helpers to the truth. You know, when we help, when we give, when you give whatever amount of money it is, a small uh, amount maybe to some, someone in the work, uh, or who's doing work for the Lord in, in whatever sphere it is, uh, we, we, we are fellow helpers to the truth. We are helping the truth go out and be be spread. Uh, and, and so we have the exhortation here to help those who go out and who go to serve God's 
people. You know, I, I, I give thanks to God that I have been brought up here in Fernley and can remember back to the days when we had those um, kind of... Um, the, the the pictures the the slideshows being you know that made the noise as you clicked around and I guess some of you might even remember days before they existed if if there ever was those days um, but but I I can remember many times as as a youngster um, hearing missionary stories missionary reports uh, from from this platform and and, and we we sh- we should be careful to to foster and to continue to foster relationships with with missionaries and with those who are serving God in different ways, those who are uh, uh, not from here maybe and we can we can in, enjoy and we can uh, be encouraged but we can also be fellow helpers of the truth as it goes out uh, and so and so we, we can we can be glad of that and we should be careful to uh, to to maintain that so we must be uh, we must be helpers uh, help fellow workers uh, in in their work uh, for for God finally verse uh, 14 uh, verse 14 uh, we are told there uh, to learn uh, to learn to maintain good works Learn to maintain good works. This is another command that Paul says. It's something active. It's something that we must do. We're not born with it, but we must learn to do it. We must develop it. We must develop the, uh, the, the skill. We must develop the, the motivation uh, to do good works. As we thought about last week, uh, and as, as we've considered through the whole letter, really, uh, Paul has this link between our beliefs and our behaviour. And those who are God's people should be marked by good works. They should be marked by helping one another. That you be not unfruitful. And and so there should be fruit in our lives. Fruit in our lives as evidence, as proof of our faith. And we must seek, as Paul says, to learn or to develop uh, these good works. We must have evidence for our faith you know if there's no evidence for our faith I don't wish to question any for anyone to, to, to question their salvation in, in, a, in a bad way but, but we must just consider and ensure that there is evidence of our faith is there evidence for your faith is there evidence for mine now, there must be uh, many fruits uh, and this is one of them a fruit of action that we maintain we learn to maintain good works. We must be people that are marked out by helping one another. Helping one another in the assembly. Helping each other and helping those who are lost uh, as an example, an illustration of God's love and God's grace for them. Paul has uh, given us four commands. Four very practical things. To avoid foolish conversations. To reject divisive people, to help fellow workers and to learn to do good works. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we give you thanks this evening as we have come before your word, uh, that your word is, uh, as we considered earlier, is your word. Uh, You have spoken to us through it. And Father, as we think of this very practical passage this evening, uh, as we think of uh, these commands... Father, we pray that you might help us to live for you and to be, uh, to be lights and to be salt 
in in this world, Father. Father, we think of those uh, who we think of these difficult subjects as well. We consider this evening. We remember uh, uh, Colin and Alida out in, in Skoder. Uh, we think of the reality of these things and uh, the difficulties. Uh, we think of those who have been hurt uh, and for the need for for reconciliation. Uh, Father, we pray that you might bless them this evening. Father, we pray that you might protect us as an assembly, that we might uh, be unified together in our work and in our walk. Father, that we might uh, seek to help one another and that we might seek to foster uh, a deeper relationships together. Father, we just pray for your help and your grace in these things. And Father, give you thanks again for the privilege it is uh, to meet together. We pray that... uh, uh, for these things, we just pray that you might bless us as we go. In your son's precious name, amen. <laughs>